Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello everyone, I'm Christine Patterson of Field Partner, and I want to welcome you to the next in our series of interviews for our community. Gradually, we're building a library of these interviews, each as unique as the story of those who share, and each shedding more light on what it's like to follow God's call across cultures to work in and follow Him. So what can I say about our interviewee today? Onesfo Manirakiza is from Burundi in Central Africa, which happens to be my own birthplace and where several generations of my family have lived and worked. He is a man Ross and I deeply respect and love, which may seem strange since we've only met him in person during a brief visit to Bujumbura in 2017. However, we do meet up week by week on a Burundi Zoom prayer meeting. We will talk about both during this interview. An S4 heads up the local side of Great Lakes Outreach, the work founded by Simon Gilbo. You might have seen an interview with Simon a few weeks ago. And An S4 is a very busy man, so we're privileged to have him share with us today. You're in for a great treat as he talks about his life and his passion for the Lord and for Burundi and beyond. So An S4, Thank you so much for joining us today. You are um, welcome. You've just been in a very important meeting, I gather. So can you just tell us about that quickly? Yes, uh, I was in a meeting in a ceremony where we were celebrating an initiative, a peace, uh, Christian peace initiatives, which has been helping the country from 2015 up to 2020. Uh, during the political crisis we went through, and we right. have been privileged work alongside Simon when he was still in the country to respond to the crisis as Christians organizations, as a Christian leaders. And today we're closing a program which has been very successful. Well, that's great. So real celebration then. Okay, so Anespo, tell us a bit about your background, the circumstances of your birth, where you grew up and how you came to faith. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I was born in 1972 in April and uh, I was born on Monday and there was a civil war on Saturday. Oh, then wow. I think God knew me before I, I came to know him, of course, like everyone, but I can see the hand of God upon me when I was six days old. As my parents were running away, escaping for safety because my tribe was targeted during that first genocide or first killings, uh, they reached a point because they had put me on the back. My mother put me on the back for running and the day and the night. And they checked on me and they found out that I had been breathing from my umbilical cord and they thought I was almost dead. And then they had a quick meeting to decide if they throw me in the jungle, in the bush, or just they can save the other family members or they keep me. And God used my dad who looked at me and say, I will feel guilty all my life if I lose, I throw this baby. Let's keep him until he dies completely. Then 
I survived. That is welcome from my name. Manirakiza means God is the healer. When they saw that three months after I have not died, they concluded that I was saved by God. And that is how they gave me that name. Right. Yeah, that is the beginning of my life. And um, I grew up in a very poor family, very poor family. I, I used to tell people I brushed my teeth for the first time when I was 15. And I put on my pair of shoes when I was 15. Then to give you a picture of what kind of family. And uh, this is uh, a nominal Christian family, raised in a nominal Christian family, Catholic family. Well, there is syncretism. There is uh, the combination of the two faiths, the animism and the, the Christian faith. And you never know what, who is God and who do you really uh, pray? Because in the evening, we'll be having our ancestral worship. And then during Sunday morning, we will go to the church. And then I grew up with this fear when all people who are from the animism background, we are traumatized by fear, fear of spirits, fear of whatever the devil can do against you. Then that is the environment, faith environment I grew up in. And God used people in my neighborhood, in my village. And uh, these people could not preach to our families. I'm from a, the minority tribe, which was on power. And many people who were Christians were from the majority tribe, which was not on the power, which was the enemy of my tribe. They could not preach to my tribe. It was very, they were despised. Then, and God led them to pray for me, to pray for my family. God led them to pray for our family. In fact, they are enemies. And then they spent a day, I mean, overnights, every Saturday for three years. They were praying overnight on a mountain, spending a night praying for our families. And then three years after, a revival broke into our families, into our communities, and we were guilty of our sins. We saw a miracle happening. People were sick, got healed. Demon depossessed were uh, free. And that is how I came to faith. During that time, you don't need any strong preaching. Everything you hear, a song or a verse, speaks a lot in your life, and you are very soft for the Lord. Then that is how I, I came to the Lord. I remember one song was say, which said, uh, you sheep which is lost, aren't you afraid that you'll be meeting wolves? Come to the gate before it is closed. That is a song which brought me to Christ. That I was guilty. I felt to be in danger. And then that is how I came to faith. I was 15. Wow, that's amazing. So, um, and, and at that, up to that point, had you been to school? Had you been able to um, do anything? Or were you just living in the community and uh, taking part in life there? Yeah, I, I started at primary school when I was seven, but primary school took me long because of the system here. You have to succeed the national test after grade six. And I did four years in the, in the grade six, not because I was not smart, but because the system, they will let only the few number of the people they can have in their schools. But at that time, I was still in grade six. I was still in primary school. And then that is how I came to faith. Okay, right. So then um, you, you carried on with your education, presumably. Um, and then, uh, but at, some, what, at what point did you meet your wife and get married? And um, tell us about your family as well. Yeah, I, uh, when I, I went to high school in seven, when I was 17 in 89. And I did all my high school, which really helped to develop my faith. Where I 
was having the fellowship with other students from different faith and different churches. I think my first roots and of faith were really deepened within high school life. And then I went to university. The Lord has already, had already begun to call me. I know that from 96, the Lord had already spoken to me that he wants me to serve him, even if I didn't know how and when. And then I went to college, to university, where I did my, my legal studies, graduated as a lawyer and yeah. from the National University. And that is where I met my wife, who was doing medical studies. She's a, a gynecologist, an OBGYN, actually. And then that is where I met her. And we met in the student, uh, Christian uh, Student Fellowship. I was uh, one of the leaders of this fellowship, and she was one of the active members of the fellowship. And we met in that, uh, in that context. Yeah. Wow. Great. Um, and so how long have you been married now? We've married now, it is uh, now 17 years, 17 years. Right? And we have, uh, have how many family. children? We have four children, four uh, children, three boys and one girl. Our firstborn is 17 years old, no, 15 years old. And then our last boy is six years old. Then we have four of them. The daughter is the second. She is now turning 13. Yeah. Wow. Busy. Well, you are very busy, aren't you? All the, <laughs> all the time. And your wife is a doctor, so she's been heavily involved in COVID. Is that right? Yeah, my wife is a doctor. She's, uh, she's been very involved. She works for a Christian hospital where she meets many women from the poor community. She's very busy. And she also works with another clinic, which is more specialized with the COVID. Then she's very exposed to the COVID cases because the famous doctor who is a specialist in this area is the one working there. Then she's every day she, she's exposed. And we praise God because we've been protected up to now protected. from COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you said you, you began to feel that God was calling you to serve him. So what was the first work that you got involved with? Yes, um, I, yeah. I, and uh, before I finished high school, I, I knew that the Lord was speaking to me uh, prophetically. And uh, I went to serve the country, did one year in the military before I went to college. And then during the time in the military, I accepted to the call. In fact, the call was tricky for me because God wanted me to leave my church, which I loved so much and loved me as a young man, a bigger church here, Pentecostal church. And then he wanted me to go to serve other churches and be a blessing of churches. This was not making sense for me really. And that took me one year wrestling with the call. And then when I was in the military for one year, the Lord, I mean, my mother died. And during this time, when I was mourning, the Lord came back again and convinced me, showed me how life is very small and fragile if you don't leave it for God. And God brought me to understand that a good life is the one lived for, for him, not the one lives for, for yourself. That is how I went to university uh, with all the determination I was ready to do whatever. I spent three years without knowing what God wanted me to do. And I was praying and seeking God. I was serving the student fellowship. And then 2000, God clearly led me to start Harvest. Harvest for Christ, which is now Harvest Initiatives. Then Harvest Initiatives, which has been a, a discipleship 
and evangelism movement. I've been running it for 15 years. Then, but in the meantime, yeah, yeah that is the first work I, I began in 2000. And then when I finished college in 2003, I became even full-time for that. Then from 2003 up to now, I've been serving the Lord on a full-time basis. Wow, serving nice through story. harvest and other missions, I've been given a chance to serve as well. Okay. Now, if I understand right, with Harvest, you were kind of reaching out cross-culturally to another tribe. Is that right? To the Batwa? Yeah, we were doing both. We were having a campaign that Simon has been talking about, where we sent young people to different corners of Burundi, doing door-to-door evangelism. Oh, and right. I was, okay. we were sending 600 evangelists for two weeks, and doing door-to-door evangelism, mm-hmm. and thousands, hundreds of thousands people came to faith. More than 50 churches have been built up, planted across the country. Just through that, but that's on, Yes, and in addition to that, God led me to serve the pygmy, uh, the small, the minority, the enriched group. I mean, God shifted my understanding to move from proclamation only to doing some concrete work, uh, to do some actions, uh, compassion ministry. That is how I, I included from 2009, the Pygmy, the Batwa uh, outreach, which is now very successful. And we do many things from health to uh, schools, to uh, community development, to uh, all kinds of ministries we are doing to that. Yeah. That's amazing. Great. And then, so apart from the harvest then, you've also started other work. I mean, you mentioned the evangelism explosion. Was that a separate thing that was under harvest? Evangelism Explosion was another different organization, which Simon asked me to run in 2007 when uh, there was no, they were failing to start it, to launch it well. And then they found out the only one organization which had used the tool was Harvest. Then they said, maybe we believe that Harvest can keep this tool and give it to churches. Okay. Then I became a leader of two organizations in parallel. Then I was using Evangelism Explosion for our campaigns, as well as building Evangelism Explosion to become an independent entity, which will be serving the churches. Now, Evangelism Explosion, I ran it for three years until 2010. It's one of the four stronger uh, Evangelism Explosion movement in Africa. It's one of the the four movements in Africa, which is solid. Then I just gave leadership to that organization, and I took one of the field partners, the field workers, he became the director, then I continued with the harvest. Okay, right. So you've mentioned um, Simon suggesting that, but um, there was a point at which he came and asked you to take over GLOW, and I, I understand that you thought absolutely no way, you were so busy already. So how did you understand that it was right to take over GLOW at that point? Yeah, I, in 2012, the Lord, I think, interrupted somehow, came across my journey and told me that I'm going to let Harvest be run by others so that I can focus on the church directly. I was seeing how limited is any initiative of discipleship, which does not really connect with churches, which, are, which is not backed by the churches. I was right. getting to the end of my road. I had begun a school of mission which didn't send anyone because churches were not behind. And I understood, I had done my degree in theology and I knew that the church is struggling with 
understanding its mission and struggling with its ecclesiology and its, uh, its I mean, if, even its theology, that God was calling me to do something which would equip the church directly. And then as I was sharing Simon, because I was afraid that Simon would be disappointed that I just leave harvest. Then I was just meeting him to prepare him so that he cannot be disappointed. Then he surprised me with an offer, which I was not expecting. I was just stepping down. How do you want me to take your position when I'm stepping down from my position, for my dear organization? That was kind of puzzling me. But, um, you know, I didn't reject it openly. I kept it and prayed. But in the meantime, God used somebody who was praying for me. He had been fasting for 40 days, and the Lord had led him to pray for me. And they came to me and said, I have a word from the Lord. And he said, God told me that he's changing your job. And then he's giving you a twin. And this twin, is, his name is Simon. He has never met Simon. He mentioned his name. And they said, don't despise, don't reject this call, this invitation. Wow. Then wow. <laughs> I, accepted, I accepted in my head, in my, in my heart, not in my head. I was not ready, but I said, okay. This is from the Lord. And I have been learning from my journey. You never say no to the Lord. You never say no to the master. The only one answer you can say to the master is yes. Even when you don't understand what does mm. mean yes, the questions of the yes. Then I've been learning a lot about that. And then I say yes. But on the way, the crisis broke out in 2015. Immediately, I was the only one guy ready and available to run the peace initiative. Now I understood that God wanted me to run, to, to take this opportunity and this momentum of bringing together the church and responding to the crisis. And then later, as we're responding to the crisis, God revealed to me that uh, the idea I had from 2000, for 1997, because when God called me, I was seeing the church mobilized for mission. And God reminded me, this is an opportunity to bring the idea for mission. This is an opportunity to bring together the church and then bring the church to, to think about its mission. That is how we think. I brought on the table the idea of the mission congress, which you attended. And the mission right. congress really brought me to another journey where my dream I had been carrying for 20 years became a reality. Then we, from the mission congress, now we have Burundi Mission Alliance, which is now going to give birth to a mission, uh, agency, mission agency and the mission school and other task forces enabling the church to be in the mission. Then I was against because I didn't know where the way the, the, the journey would take me, but uh, I found out God knew the journey and God wanted me to use this opportunity. I think GLO became, I think it became a catalyzer for me to live my dream, to serve beyond my small organization to whisper in the ears of many leaders. As I was wrestling the voice, I remember God putting me on a verse where one priest was kidnapped by the family of Israelites when they were looking for a land. And then when they took this guy so that he can be their priest, he was complaining. And then they said, why do you complain about, do you want to be a priest for one tribe instead of being, for one person, instead of being a priest for whole tribe of Israel? Then I think God was telling me, do you want to be a key guy, a star guy for one organization instead of blessing the body of Christ? Then mm -hmm. now I understood that this was a really a big door open for me 
to, mm. to serve the body on a bigger level. Right. So not only are you kind of working together with the other partners in GLOW, but you're also doing a lot of um, church leader training or something. That, and you started another group called Antioch, is that right? Yes. Yes. Right. Which is a yeah. name very close to our heart. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I began Antioch uh, when I stepped from Harvest before Simon gave me the offer. I had the idea of the Antioch uh, idea. Then I was, mm -hmm. was developing the Antioch thing. Simon came in with that offer for GLOW. Then when I was tried to refuse, I wanted to protect Antioch idea. But Simon was very, very generous. He said, I let you do both, if you can do that. I let you do both. And that is how I began on a parallel uh, Antioch Foundation, which has a school, which is a church-based theological education. Antioch School, we use the material from Iowa, a school developed in the US over the last 25 years by Build International, which really fits with our context as we respond to the issues of the church. Then I've been training leaders over the last four years, introducing the materials in the school to the senior leaders. Now they are teaching their own leaders in their own churches. Then we want to develop a church-based church, um, a, a church theological education run by pastors themselves. And Antioch Foundation becomes a, a hub or a resource center for them. It's, that, okay. it's doing very well and has really influenced already what we are doing in terms of mission. Our school philosophy is already bringing a lot on the table of mission the country. And the book your husband wrote influenced me a lot. I read it in 2014, The Antioch Factor. Then the Antioch School uh, talks, about a lot, talks a lot about Antioch Church, and the book talked about Antioch Factor. All the ingredients were together so that I can name my organization, the Antioch Foundation. Okay. Well, it was a real privilege for us to be at the Congress in 2017. And then to hear that you've actually launched this um, Burundi major mission agency. Um, and basically your, your concept was it, was, it would never work unless you got all the denominational leaders together to, um, to work together or to at least own the vision. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's why it's been slow in a way, but actually still very fast, I think, to get it off the ground. The temptation that we are having with some missionaries from our side was to make cut short, to make it easier. They wanted us to start a mission agency without support of the churches. And many mm -hmm. were saying, this is how it worked. The church will never be behind and whatever. And our understanding was we better wait until some churches are behind because mm -hmm. the mission is run. Church, the church is the center of the mission. The centrality mm -hmm. is a church, local church. Then mm -hmm. we better wait until we own this, until we have some churches behind. Not all the churches will be behind, but some churches will be behind this idea. Now I'm happy because uh, the Baptist Church in Burundi now is in the, in the vision, has joined the movement. Two dioceses of the Anglican churches are in the movement, and other independent churches, including mine, are in the movement and the parachurches. Then we want really uh, that the church gets involved and have the ownership and the mission agency be the facilitator, but the sending ones being the church and the mission agency being the facilitator. Okay, so one thing that deeply moved me when, when, when I was out there was the concept that 
Burundi had been on the receiving end of missions with people bringing um, the gospel to Africa, and but you wanted to repay that now. You wanted to do reverse missions of bringing it back to really the continents that um, well, certainly Europe, where the, the the church is now pretty weak. So, can you unpack that again as to what as to how you felt that was? Because I've heard your heart and your passion about this. Yes, yes. I think I, if I was to write a book, I would tell all Africans and Asian and Latin American that we owe to Europe and we owe to Europe what they brought to us. And they brought that in tears and suffering. And what we owe to Europe is the gospel. And we know that the gospel is transmitted from culture to culture. It was transmitted from Israel and got into the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was carrying it for a number of years and was moved to England. England became the hub at a given time. And then the gospel was carried to US and to other. We see God deciding who will be carrying because the time is obliged to have a place where they're keeping the gospel, the deposit of faith. And um, it's not fair for us Africans and others to keep the gospel, knowing that those who brought the gospel to us who actually stored it in our continent are losing their faith, are struggling reaching their people. Then honestly, and not only Burundians, but I think all Africans, um, I think we owe to Europe, we owe to those who brought us the gospel, what they gave us. We need to bring back that. We need to help that the, the, the continent. And then sending missionaries is not really a choice. It's a mandate. We, we just have to. God has given us a chance to keep the gospel. And now men are losing the gospel because of secularization. We are still having it somehow kept, well kept. And then we all to this continent, the gospel they brought to us. And already God is doing it. He's doing it through migration. We have many people in Europe. We have many people in Northern America who went as immigrants. And we know in the history, sometimes God, and many times God used the immigration as a way of taking the gospel. Even those who were from UK to America, they were searching for freedom of religion. And God used this context to bring the gospel to America, to the continent. I think I, 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 I stand for a movement to go back, a reverse movement to Europe, and then, which is not to Europe, but Europe will continue coming back because Europeans have been so much, so more generous than we are. We know that their churches are failing, are dying, but yet they keep on sending their people. I mean, when I look at that, I'm guilty. They leave empty churches and they come to full churches that we are, and they continue coming and they continue sending money. If I was given a chance to tell all the globe, I mean, the South Hemisphere, I would tell, get up, let's go back, let's bless these people, let's honor the tombs of those people who have been buried in our churches. This is very deep to me, very moving. Yeah. Well, when I hear you pray, it, it really moves me too. <laughs> um, so we have this um, kind of connection over Zoom where by, because Ross and I attend the, the Burundi prayer meeting week by week. So tell us, because I mean, we see all the different um, GLOW partners and the work that they're doing, the grassroots, I love the, the GLOW um, sort of mission statement that it's from to help Burundi and beyond, but it's from the 
from the bottom up and the top down. So tell us about some of the other partners and, and, the, and what the Zoom prayer meetings actually mean for you all, um, that, that people yeah. all over the world get together to pray for you. Yeah, as maybe Simon shared it, uh, Simon came in and Glow became not, Glow was born out of Simon. He came as a person, he served the scripture union and then met other people. He became a friend to them started sharing the stories of what he sees in Burundi to friends, and friends began getting involved. That is how Glow was born. Glow was born to, uh, to manage, uh, to be the steward of this generosity of people back in the UK and other places, uh, sending money to Simon's friends. And then that is how Glow began. And then he began with youth outreach, which is scripture union, and which is and extended to harvest, which is doing the discipleship and the pygmy outreach, and extended to a school of theology with PTI, which is training uh, skilled leaders for the local church, and extended to street children outreach with a new generation. Now we, I mean, Glow is behind people who are serving on different levels of the country. Some people engaging with the leaders of the country, others producing the church leaders, others doing holistic mission, compassion, reaching the, the lost and the less, and then others doing, the, many of them doing the youth outreach. You know that many people in Burundi are young people. More than 60% is made of young people. When you reach young people, you, you define the future of the country. Then GLOW really is behind this movement. Then we have a, many, a range of many initiatives, including even those who are doing a mission among Muslims, we have two, three very strong teams uh, doing the public debates with the Muslim, and many are coming to faith. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of many efforts. And then when we do the Zoom call, it's an opportunity where the people have been funding and being, who have been generous to Burundi mission, they meet the people they have been praying for, they meet the people they have been funding and supporting, and on screen. It's amazing. It has been a, a momentum for Glow because they trust Simon that he's giving money to people who exist. Now the people, they put the face, I mean, they put on the face uh, to the people. They see the people. Uh, they knew the name. They knew the books. Now they see and they hear from the people the fresh uh, stories from the ground. Then it's become for Simon a way to impact the West because when people listen to our stories, their hope, their faith is energized, but also we feel also energized and encouraged when we meet the people who love us, who've been praying for us and who've been caring for us. That's great, that's fantastic. So just in closing then, can you, can you share what your main prayer requests would be? How can we get behind you in prayer personally and your, and your wife and your family? I, I think one of the main, main requests is that I've been saying, is wisdom. I need the wisdom as I carry many hearts. I want to be obedient to the Lord and I want to know when to stop and when to start and when to shift. And then my day is full of meetings, coaching, putting my life into leaders. I would like the Lord to give me the strength and the wisdom as I do that. And I would like God to protect my family because as I do that, I find out that I make a lot of impact on, on many, through many organizations. And then I become a target from the devil. 
sicknesses and other discouragement on my family. He can just target my marriage or my kids. Just, I would like to be covered with prayer on my family basis. And also this new platform for mission, I have been beginning and helping to start, needs to be connected to the other mission networks in the region and the world. And you already helping me to get connected. But I would like to see Burundi be less landlocked in terms of church <laughs> relationship. Would like not to be a landlocked church, but be a connected church, which can bring something on the table as well as receiving. Then there have been many attempts in the past which failed because the people who were carrying this, who were speaking for the church were not really maybe the right people. And maybe some people have been disappointed with us, but I would like to see the Lord open and God all so that we can write, meet right people with the passion so that we can learn from them as well as they can learn from us. Mm. Right, well, there's a lot there. Thank you so much um, for sharing all of this. And um, that's the end for, of this interview just now. But um, I want to say, please do go back to the website and um, look at the other interviews and follow this one when we, when we launch it. Um, follow the work in Burundi. We'll put all the links um, in the interview so you can, um, you can see them. And uh, like us on Facebook. Um, just tell us what you think about this interview. Thank you very much. Bye-bye and God bless. Thank you, Ernest, for there's been so much in that for us to share. God bless. Thank you, Bye. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.